0: Hey, podcast it's me back again it's james here thank you so much for listening to the tucan echo podcast and taking some time aside from your busy ears and your busy day-to-day life to you know point them in our direction it's um it's much appreciated it's it's amazing that you know um, we've got actually people people listening and people internationally listening um i was looking at the stats we've got all sorts of countries involved which is cool um, it could be that they're listening to like 10 seconds and going, what the hell is this guy saying? Uh, but we'll take it. <laughs> um, and we're going music nerd again today. I'm kind of in a bit of a music focus mood on the podcast. Um, I, I usually cover mindset stuff, but um, kind of from the episode I did a couple of episodes ago on my potential or potentially not minimalist journey, particularly to do with guitars um, I kinda of wanted to do one mostly for my own benefit, but maybe you'll find some value in it, on my guitar tone journey and kinda of how that how your tastes will change over time and that you should account for that. because um, I am quite a fan of listening to pure guitar podcasts and nerding out. Um and I want to give that a go myself and let some of that information out of my head and into the public domain. Um otherwise what's the point of me reading up on it and obsessing about it all the time, you know? Um so, my guitar tone journey. Um, what's uh, I'm going to try and give you a bit of a taste of what's coming up. We're going from like um, big distortion, hard rock, um, to having the opportunity, the amazing good fortune, to have got a really nice guitar at a young age, um, through to the police completely changing my taste and chasing after good, clean tones, through to through to a Fender Strat tone blowing my mind um, setting me on a slightly altered path again which led to me building my own guitars and summing up as to where I'm at now and where my tone journey might take us in the future if that hasn't hooked you in then this isn't a podcast for you and um, you know, please see yourself out and find something else to do but if that is what you want to hear then buckle in because it's going to be an absolute thrill ride so I started playing guitar when I was about nine or ten years old um It was when I was in year six of primary school i think um and maybe it was at the start the start of year the summer holiday before that, so I would have been about nine or ten um so is one of the weirder things of my life um that it was so extremely subconscious, I mean, obviously it's so long ago that I can't really remember what I might have seen that might have made me think I needed to do this, but um, I'd actually played an instrument before the guitar, I played the cornets, it was like a small trumpet for those of you who don't know um because a big brass band came into our primary school um playing clarinets and saxophones, and I suppose saxophones not neither of those are brass, so it was it was wasn't a they all looked brassish you know, um, brass or brass-esque instruments uh, at clarinet saxophones, uh, I don't know if they have a trombone? Probably, they're always fun, like a trumpet and stuff, um, and got s- so basically signed up people to do music lessons, and anyone who was there, like, ran and signed up, like, obviously you did, of course you wanted to do it, um, so we s- I signed up to do cornet. I remember going to some dodgy second-hand <laughs> music shop with my parents in Reading, um, and then kind of negotiating over this little silver cornet, which becomes a bit interesting part of the story later. Um, very, like, vague memories of that. Um, so I got this silver cornet ready for our first trumpet and cornet lesson. But everyone else got them through the school or uh, they, they bought them through the company doing these lessons. Um, and I turned up with my silver cornet in like, purpley velvet case. And I was like, ooh, that's different, like, it's <laughs> always the odd one out, god, got bullied for my cornet colour, no, I didn't actually, um, so that's where it all started, um, and to be honest, I wasn't passionate about the cornet, um, it was kind of fun to start off with, and a few of my friends did it, so we all did it, and we did actually do some performances eventually, which, um, was quite a cool thing to do for such a young age, for like nine or ten, um, we you know we learned some pieces and and did them, um we performed at like a school fete and stuff like that, um but by age so that was a bit younger that was like age eight or something like that, um but by one one day in a summer holiday, in yeah when I was age nine or ten, um I just had this vision of playing guitar um I can still remember it. It as like. ...kind of being stood up... ...obviously primary school was sort of my world at that moment... ...I remember being stood outside one of the classrooms... ...and playing guitar... ...and everyone kind of being in like a big circle... ...and like laughing and sing along and stuff... ...and like... ...I was helping this happen through playing guitar... ...um... ...and I was like... ...I want to do that... ...um... ...so I just decided... ...I just literally went to my mind, ...I want to play guitar... ...that was it... ...um... ...so... She rang round a couple of teachers. this is a midsummer holiday, so she was like, oh, Okay, we'll try and get you some like like a crash course, you know like some some lessons or something um, see so if we've got like a teacher. Because we didn't know how to play guitar. we didn't really have like as good internet or whatever at that time, um whereas you could learn a lot of it online now um we didn't know what we were doing, I had no idea um, but we booked in a lesson um which <laughs> A big reason they got booked in was because the the guy was like, "What sort of music um, does James like?" And I think my one of the things my mum said was the Beatles, and he was like, oh, "I love the Beatles." But my guitar teacher Clive was a incredibly big Beatles fan. <laughs> Maybe only eclipsed by me. That's it's a very close race that one. That would be a, a great sort of battle on like Mastermind or Weakest Link or whatever, um, and yeah. She called up and arranged me to do five lessons and went, um, and got me a small three-quarter size classical guitar, because um, I was little, and I'm still little, uh, but I'm a little less little than I was then, um, and so yeah, got me a three-quarter size classical guitar, I went to the lesson, he had to teach me how to hold it, um, but in my first lesson we did Hey Jude, I remember you trying to teach me an A chord and a D chord and an E chord, um, And I didn't practice much that first week, I remember, because it's it's quite hard when you first start, like, pressing your fingers down and stuff. But um, it was pretty much like the second or third week of third lesson onwards, I just, like, got obsessed, practiced, actually practiced in my spare time. Who would have thought, you know? Um, I always got away with not practicing on the cornet, but on the guitar, it wasn't anyone telling me to do it. Like, that was it. It was done. Um, I even remember trying to write my own songs the moment. I got sort of A, D, and E down. I was like, wee wee wee, like croaking. I couldn't even sit. I was like, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> it's just croaking along to an A chord and thinking it was a song. But um and the, the real turning point where, you know, I, I kind of it it became more of an obsession than anything else, and I actually felt like I had um some unique ability at guitar was when uh, I learnt Norwegian wood, which is um, Beatles song, uh, which is a cool little shape round a D chord. I recommend people learning it because it's really fun to play. Um, and I learnt that, and like <laughs> that, I obsessed over practicing with that because like I was so just really, really wanted to be able to play it. And This was the seed of this thing that would become an obsession. <laughs> Um, later on and um, I played basically constantly, I mean before I go through like the actual journey of different guitars and tones and stuff I was after like that's kind of where it all started learning Beatles songs, learning chords, onto learning bar chords I also actually learnt um, kind of, uh, particularly in the first few years learnt classical guitar as well, so actually pieces and reading music, um, which was a great foundation, I got up to grade 5 eventually, but uh, gave up when it got too theoretical because I was doing other exams and a bit bored of theory just in my life um, but that that was the kind of how I got my foundation in guitar um, and yeah it 's funny a lot of, uh, I remember other people at my school picking it up as well i don't i couldn 't necessarily claim it was because of me, but I do remember sort of after that maybe three four more people. We're picking up and trying to learn, which is kind of cool. Um, But yeah, the next guitar I got after my little classical one was I really wanted a steel string. I did uh, an acoustic guitar by anyone else's standards because I'd been playing nylon string classicals. To me, it was like a steel string. Um, And I was still doing cornet at the time. Or was I? I think I'd just come to the end of doing cornet because my cornet actually broke mid-lesson. I had to take it to a shop to get fixed. And I didn't bother. And I, started, I had this broken cornet lying around. And I, was, I had this great idea that I could sell the cornet and get a guitar to replace it. So, um, and this is partly because uh, my mum had called up the shop. And I think I talked to them on the phone as well. My mum called up and they had this 20 quid acoustic guitar in that had been like repaired. Um, this like 20 quid Fender. I was like, oh, I could get a could get that for 20 quid, but then I think it went, (laughs) this is is literally the level, it's obsessing over, like, 20 quid versus 80 quid or something, it was, like, trying to work out how how I could afford it, um, so I went in, trying to, yeah, I went in with this cornet to the shop, not to get it repaired, to sell it to them, um, and, (laughs) I was like a bit, because mmm, it was broken, so I was like, I didn't want to let on that it was broken, you know. Um, and I don't know what, to this day, I don't know what was wrong with it. It was probably just something that was blocking it, or I don't think it was a bad fix. Um, and they went and had a little look at it, and they came back and said, we'll give you 80 quid for it. <laughs> and I was blown away by it. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I think it could have been worth a lot more than that, this old, like, silver cornet that we got from a trashy. Well, I think we made a profit on it, to put it that way. We made a profit for them giving us 80 quid, and God knows how much it was actually worth. Like, I think they they could have got a few hundred more hundred quid out of it, potentially, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know, I should have looked, should have got a photo of, like, what the make was and stuff and found out. But, uh, yeah, so I think then quickly ran to the other side of the guitar shop and got um, an 80 quid acoustic guitar, so the shop did well that day they got cornet and a guitar purchase, they they did well um, but yeah, so now I had a steel string, which is awesome um, then I, obviously I started then wanting an electric you know, um, the electric guitar to me was this completely mystical thing, like I'd never actually seen I'd sort of seen people on TV and stuff play it Um, but I hadn't seen many people in like real life. I I genuinely, this sounds really, really stupid now for guitar players, but I was generally like, so do you play the electric guitar? The Like, do you play chords on it? Um, Do, do when you play like a note on electric, does it sound like big, like a chord? Like I, I did quickly work out that it's probably just the same. But, um, I even remember when, one time when I was late being picked up from a, my guitar teachers and the student after me was in the room and they were about to plug in the electric and then I got picked up before I could hear his beautiful strap being played and I was like oh no so this there's real uh build up attention for getting my first electric I remember my mum saying um you're you you can not have an electric guitar till you're 14 <laughs> it's very arbitrary I was just like nah <laughs> I knew in my head I was like it's not gonna happen mum um <laughs> it's happening before then uh I actually had my first band practice on my acoustic guitar as well when I went and jammed for the first time at Harry's house, who is part of G-Kan Echo now. Like, this is how far we go back from like 11, I think, because Harry had taken up drums around a similar time. Um, beautiful, beautiful story. Um, so Harry was always in our like band plans or band plans in my head from you know the start. I mean, it's not going to be the topic of the podcast, but um, I was planning to be in a band... As you said, as you said, like that was my vision for playing guitar, was just kind of playing it in front of people and in this kind of united thing. <laughs> it was a very vague vision, but it was something around that and uh, so bands were always on my mind. I was always trying to recruit people, you know, trying to scout people out who could be in my band. Um So yeah, I actually played that acoustic guitar our first um when we wrote a song called My Little Story, which is like one of the first songs we ever wrote. Um And me and Harry sometimes play it in uh, practice for fun now, but with me on drums and him on guitar, so it sounds suitably trashy like we used to play it, you know? Authentic to the original. Um, (laughs) He's... I don't remember all the lyrics, unfortunately, but it was something like, My little story... It's kind of sad... Ever since you left me... My life's been bad. Bum bum bum. It's it's a real rocker. Um so yeah, we did um a practice and I just played acoustic and we d- we did that once two. but that was when I really got the thrill of playing with like a drummer in a band. Oh, it was great. I was absorbed that was it, I was hooked from then on. Um It was it's was just a pure kind of um joy and felt right, you know, it is exactly what I wanted to do. Um And then for my birthday, or for Christmas or something, when I was about 12, I got my first electric, which was, guess it, a Squire Strat, with a little matching amp, um, and yeah, actually, yeah, um, I can remember trying it at the shop, we tried some crappy ones, and then we found this one, um, to me, at the time, it sounded amazing. I didn't understand what all the pickups, where all the sounds came from, what all the pickups did, what this weird spacey looking thing was. Um, and I remember breaking a string on it and taking it to the shop to get them to put another string <laughs> Oh, I hope they didn't charge us to do that. I remember breaking a string and going like, oh, I broke the string. And they're like, oh, we'll have to take it to the shop. <laughs> Uh, so, like... Uh, so naive. I mean, it's kind of... It makes for, like, a good story, because I'm not exaggerating. It's literally, like, what it was like, the kind of huge obstacle that breaking a string was. It doesn't feel like it should have been that hard, you know? Like... Like... <sighs> I think I should have been able to somehow get together... If, it, if, if I wanted it so bad, why was it so such a journey to get there? You know what I mean... Um, Anyway, so Squire Strap, but this was where my guitar tone journey really started, because I started to get dissatisfied with my tone um, after having the Squire Strap for a few years um, and getting into Green Day, who have big, ballsy, meaty, amazing, huge guitar sounds. Um, and they were kind of becoming a really big um, like influence on me, I guess. And I couldn't get the sound. ...out of a Squire Strat... ...um... ...I went off... ...Strats completely... ...and desperately wanted... ...a white Les Paul... ...like Billy Joe Armstrong... ...um... ...and... ...how I convinced... ...I didn't know... ...obviously I was too young... ...to really have any money at this point... ...so I just basically had to beg my parents... ...whenever I wanted a new guitar... <laughs> ...common theme of this guitar tone journey... ...um... ...and... ...eventually I convinced that... ...for my birthday... ...I could get a new guitar... ...um... And the one I got was an Epiphone White Les Paul for about three hundred quid or something at the time. Um, it's a good guitar for the money, to be fair. Big and heavy, which is what I want. I want big and heavy guitar like a man. Um, it looked really cool, like white with gold pickups, like it looked sick. Um, and it sounded a lot more like Green Day, you know. That was so. It it looked rocking. It was a cool guitar. I had a lightning, a white lightning strap as well, which is matching. Sick um I was cheeky with that one because we went and bought it uh and it was a Christmas present um but I took loads of photos of it and plugged it in and had it because I I actually tried it in the shop without plugging it in which I think is a bit cheeky isn't it they didn't let me plug it in they just gave me the guitar and this sat me like miles away from an amp and I was too sort of young and nervous to ask to plug it in which so I actually bought it without plugging it in which was like hmm I don't think that's great I think you should always let People plug in guitars when they're trying them. It's always a bad sign of a shop if they're not actually going to let you plug the guitar in. Anyway, um, so there's the first tip of the uh, guitar saying pocket. Jesus, 18 minutes already. Uh, I'm not even... I'm about 14 at this, day, at this stage. Um, yeah, first tip. First tip, always plug in the guitar and always go try them. Always, always, always go try them. This is like... Um, yeah, this is my number one because I've ended up liking ones that I didn't wouldn't have liked on paper. Um, it's 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 an exciting day to buy a new guitar, and so you should always, just the general policy, if at all possible, is to go try them. Unless you're getting a cheap, trashy one to do a particular thing with, and it's more of a throwaway um, purchase. But any guitar that you want to keep seriously, like try it and try it through different amps and try it thoroughly, and go back another day and try it, like, because you you want to connect with it. Even the guitars of the same make, like, it's just weird. Like some of them will be right, some of them won't. Anyway, um, and then, uh, so yeah, I used that guitar for a few years and that's when we actually started playing in a band called 531. Um, I started out with that guitar and I was playing, I called myself a lead guitarist but I couldn't play any lead, I could basically just play chords and classical guitar at the moment so I sort of forayed for the first time into playing solos, very much learning as I go with no theoretical sort of thing behind it, just like playing until it sounded good. Um, and I was pretty happy with that. It was all going well. Um, I bought a pedal for my amps. So I bought like a pedal called a Proco U Dirty Rat, which is technically like a fuzz pedal. But and I didn't, again, no idea why I picked it. I hadn't heard it before. I just like that. I'm getting that one, <laughs> and that became an integral part of my tone, having never heard it before. Maybe I looked on YouTube it or something. Um. And so yeah, that became my tone in my first band. Um playing it's still playing through that little squire amp i think i sold the squire by this point um because I, I hadn't used i stopped using it it was just lying on the wall um so i sold it for like 40 quid or something that i thought was all right like 45 pounds i think it was a decent like god more than i thought it was worth um so i remember that then came a big change so um an old lady who lived down our garden oh what that she she sold the land for my parents to build their house on it was called kathleen she was 93 or 94 or something like that maybe even older 91 92 two. Can't remember um she was just the loveliest sweetest um person ever and she she was kind of like a um she she was sort of like an auntie or something or or a grandma or kind of another grandma to us like that, that kind of thing like we'd always go visit her she'd always have the biscuits like stocked for us she'd always let us run around her garden and kind of because she had a really big garden so she'd let us like run and play hide and seek She'd come and like watch and comment on all our games that she she just absolutely loved children but didn't have like children of her own she used to be a nanny so um she was like a really big part of our um kind of growing up and she used to babysit us and stuff so we had this kind of really nice um Really, really nice person who lived down the garden from us, and you know she got, um, she got older and, um, eventually her health deteriorated and died. I mean, she was like ninety something, so I suppose that does happen to everyone eventually, um. Which was kind of, it, it was, sad, but, it um, not unexpected, I suppose, by that point because she kind of been slowly, slowly getting to that, getting to that point. Um, but the reason this is related to the story is she left me and my sister a pot of money each um a couple of thousand pounds which was completely out of the blue and unexpected and just pure amazing like generosity and just such a lovely thing to do um and I don't know whether she said this or, or my parents said this but it's like I think you should spend like you should obviously you can do what you want with it but if you want to spend it on something fun you know don't don't feel like you have to squirrel this away and do the do the sensible thing it's kind of a, a such a lovely like nice bonus like do something that you'll like you'll enjoy with it and get and uh, kind of in a, a nice tribute um which is uh, yeah i'm just so I, I just can't really believe the fortune and the kind of generosity that because <laughs> now i think back over like my guitar journey this is such like a become such a big part of it and it's brought me so much joy over like it's been such an integral part of my life um so it's just so nice that she unprompted undeserving really just just gave me that money to do something I wanted with and I'm in a very fortunate position obviously to be given um like you know a couple of grand to and to actually be able to buy not be in a position where I need that for essentials or whatever like I was given the permission to have fun with it and kind of use it a little bit, disposably. I saved some of it eventually, I think. But um, anyway, that's just... Thanks, Kathleen. Um, This is what I then had way too much money to spend on a guitar than was sensible. Um, And I obviously went out and go, I can go and buy another guitar. Like, awesome. Amazing. Um, So... I went and tried some um i, tr- I th- thought i wanted a like a semi hollow so i tried i tried a, f- a few different ones like an epiphone casino whatever um, and i went to a shop in reading and sort of we didn't obviously let on straight away that i had a bit more cash to spend um and i tried a lot of different guitars but I remember i only had the epiphone at this point kind of ballsy Les Paul pull sound big distortion man bruh, um which is learning to play Sweet Child of Mine and that kind of thing. I think I was almost in my Guns and Roses phase by this point. Um, green Day and that kind of thing. Uh, so this is the kind of tone I was looking for, like just big, Marshally-toned tone sort of thing. Um, and I tried a few, I tried like a P90 one because I thought that would be what I wanted and it was a bit dark. And uh, I, I went to, yeah, this um, guitar shop in Reading that stocked PRSs almost exclusively, they didn't have any Gibsons, and they had some other things, but, um, they, yeah, they stopped, they, they stocked sort of slightly more unusual brands, including PRS, um, and I tried all these guitars, but they were basically the same as my Epiphone, you know, and I was just like, I'd not, I wasn't going there to, like, splash all the money, but I was, I was like, this is not, I'm not getting, I don't feel anything more than what I've got, it's just everything I've tried, it just feels like what I've already got, I'm not, not feeling like a real improvement here, I don't really want to put the money into it. And so we asked them to show me something a bit better, at which point they showed me a PRS Custom 22, which is like 1800 quid, so quite a lot. Um, Would have been quite a lot in dollars at that time time, um, as well. And um, I was absolutely blown away. What an amazing sounding, feeling guitar, looking guitar. Just like, oh, glorious! And from then on, I was hooked on expensive guitars. <laughs> uh, yeah, from then on, that was that was that. Um, I I tried it. I didn't buy it straight away. Came back beaming with a smile on my face, going, "That was incredible! That was like just the best thing I've ever played." Um, it was obviously a guitar that was well above like my level of playing at that point. Um, I think I was alright for my age, like, uh, I was okay, you know, I was okay for my age, like, I was starting to do little solos and play in a band and um, was very good at, like, all the chords, (laughs) he knew all the chords, Um, but yeah, could play quite cleanly and stuff, It just hadn't quite developed my soloing and stuff to that point, so I was kind of trying, just not thinking that I was worthy of it, but thinking this is, like, something I can grow into, because my passion was, I was, like, carrying guitars around the, like, literally walk around the house playing that all the time, that would not be unusual um, it was, it was part of me, I felt more comfortable sat, you know, sat with it, than without it, um, so we went back, I tried a few more different guitars, but came back to the PR, I think I had two PRS's that I was shooting out that to be honest, I couldn't really pick between, um, and eventually, yeah, I picked my PRS Custom 22 in, like, a 10-top amber, one-piece maple top, um, which I don't even know how they do that if that's even possible but it says it was um, and it was just the most beautiful, incredible guitar I'm still not worthy of it um, but one day I will be the bird inlays like, uh, you can see um, you can see me playing it on some Sucan Echo videos but a lot of it was obviously like my only go-to one guitar um, in lots of 531 stuff I played it all the way through that band basically um and so, yeah, that was my main guitar then for um next few years and then uh so i used to I played that through my rap pedal from <laughs> my one ped- i mean I've always taken minimalist rigs up to um <laughs> to gigs, you know, like uh the first gig we did in five day One to my PRS my rap pedal and just put it straight into like the amp then that was it like like now I think you know just taking the Kemps. I used to just take a pedal. <laughs> a guitar and a distortion pedal and that was it that was teenage james's tone um so yeah uh well what can i say i mean that guitar is very versatile like you can click through and split the coils you can get like a thinner sound or a thicker sound but the main sound i was looking for was big distorted lead tones like slash was a big influence green Day, as i said um not so much like acdc or that kind of thing like a little bit of that um, I probably watched School of Rock and got most of my info from there. Um, I still loved the Beatles at that point, but I hadn't really got my head around like the Beatles' guitar tones at this. But I wasn't really trying to emulate their guitar tones at that point. Um, I wanted to big and punchy. I, was, I liked um, stuff like Paramore and whatever, but the Bamboo Room was a bit more vintagey sounding anyway. So it was it was Green Day, big chords kind of stuff that I was going for at that time, um, with like the first smatterings of playing lead guitar. So. That was kind of it for um, quite a few years after that. But I mean, obviously because you just got one amazing guitar, you can't get another one straight away. Um, I gigged that one pretty extensively. We, I mean, I say I say extensively, it was extensive for what felt like extensive at the time. We played a good probably 50 gigs or so across that band um, across a couple of years. So it was quite a lot alongside our exams and stuff. Um but the beautiful thing about the PRS is it just stayed in tune. It was just beautiful to play all the time. Like it was just a hundred, hundred, hundred percent worth it for me in that situation at that time. Like it was it was a dream for me and I loved, loved, loved playing it, and um it was reliable in gigs. Like we didn't have the problem of like guitars being out of tune, which is a unfortunate thing that can make a lot of young bands sound crap, is like their more budget guitars go out of tune either in between songs, or and they're probably not as good as tuning them and ear to hear that it's out of tune as well. But that could like let you down. Oh, I forgot that I did a gig with the uh Squire Strat actually when I was younger, like a youth festival. Um, me and Zoe's, fr- I played with my sister Zoe and uh, our friend Charlotte. That was actually probably the first gig that I did before the other band. So I did actually play the Squire Strat live, just played some chords. <laughs> Sick. Um, so. Uh, i also got an amp for that band but not straight away i was still rocking the pedal for a bit Um, then i decided i needed an amp Uh, we were starting to record and practice a lot more Um, so i got a tube amp Um, again i went back to the same shop i got the guitar from they did very well out of me Um, and after trying a few different ones and going to different shops and try i I was almost almost going to get a vox ac30 I'm glad I didn't, it would have been the most impractical thing ever, like it's 30 kilos and two speakers, Um, we used to pack all our band stuff in one car, like drums, bass amp, bass uh, guitars, guitar, like uh, our bandmate Ed, shout out to you Ed if you listen, um, is a genius at car packing, a a absolute sort of master ahead of his time at packing stuff compactly into a car, Um, (laughs) it just... A visionary. <laughs> um, so I'm glad I didn't get an AC-30 because, oh, that would have been a drag. And the tone wouldn't have been as original. The and Kettner was for the same price, like handmade in Germany with a really great uh, kind of Fenderish clean channel, which I never used because I only wanted distortion um, and a massive sounding kind of full stack Marshall-esque distortion channel, but maybe a little bit more chime than a traditional Marshall. Um, so that was yeah the uh no no effects <laughs> no effects at that point um i did have an effects pedal for a bit actually that uh but it's more of a side note on our kind of tone journey because i didn't really use it that much um this is before before the band of uh before the band and before i got these guitars like so sort of middle one i did get a multi-effects pedal um and i did get a little roland cube amplifier but it wasn't that wasn't loud enough and I didn't kind of use like chorus and I just didn't use that many effects. I just wanted to rock, you know, just wanted pure rock and roll. Um, so, so yeah, um, that was my, that was my tone for the net till I was about 18 from, you know, uh, how old was I in 2010? Yeah, about 14 till about 18. Um, that was it. That was what I played. Um, I got an I got an acoustic in that time, but um, that you know wasn't as big a thing. I just played that guitar through that amp, multiple gigs, multiple sort of main album, made a couple of EPs, um, and that was that. Then um, I finished school and finished uh, like college sixth form, um, and uh, my as a as an eight, a turning eighteen present. Um, I got another guitar (laughs) Um, and although I was planning to get a 12 string I ended up changing my mind and getting a on sale um, Gibson ES339 which is like a mini ES335 so semi hollow but shrunk down to the size of a Les Paul Um, because I just tried it again just I I went in to get an SG oh I missed the SG part of the story back up a bit. Not too much, but when I was maybe sixteen so we're we're going to rec- just like about to record an album with our, um our band like at home. I should do another home recording journey actually that 's going to be another podcast but we're recording uh I was in America with my fa I know, that sounds like um I-, I was on tour in America with the band like no no, 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 I was on a family holiday in New York, and we went foolishly we went to the guitar center um and I spotted on the wall an SG that looked just like George Harrison's SG with the Vibrola. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a cool looking guitar. I want to play it. And then I cut it down, looked at the price and it was 600 quid. And I was like, oh, my God, like these things don't These are quite rare. Like they're quite rare to get an SG Vibrola. It was, it was 600 quid because it had a headstock repair, which can actually make them stronger. Like uh, it doesn't mean that it's going to break. It actually makes it less likely it's going to break again. And it was a bit beaten up, it had been a session player's guitar, like it was a Gibson 61 reissue, but with a Vibrola added, um, and it was sick, I played that for a few hours, probably spoilt a valuable day of the family holiday, the classic, wanted it desperately, dragged my dad back the next day, <laughs> my poor dad has been to so many guitar stores, sat there through them, he's literally such a hero, um, my mum too, my mum's done it too, they've all done their time. Um, and I was really, really close to wanting to buy that, but, um, kind of dissuaded out of it through, like, customs and whatever, um, and I was a bit grumpy for the next day or two, because I, I was in guitar obsession. It has a bit an obsession, guys, that, um, unfair on my family, but, you know. Um, so that was an almost, an almost, but I, that's why when I turned 18 and, um, my parents offered to buy me a present in form of a guitar, um, I was going to get an SG, because they just released a new copy of an SG with a Vibrola. Um, and to be honest, I kind of knew back in my mind this wasn't really going to give me a new tone. Uh, I could play quite fast on an SG, which I liked, and it sounded great, like it sounded rocking. But it wasn't really that different to PRS. I was conscious that like it was another two humbucker solid body guitar. Um, so I tried some more. I tried a Les Paul. I was not blown away by that. I tried um uh I try anything else? No, and then I tried an, an ES339 um and thought that sounded amazing. Like just sounded great, felt great. I was like, Yep, nothing's gonna be as good as this at this price this is it. Um so I got that. Then I went off to university with two nice guitars. Um but I only bought one of them. I think I bought the PRS with me. Um which you get and this is the story the story of having PRS when PRS Custom twenty two like a proper guitar um, when you're 15 is you get a lot of, um, I'd say heckles from sound people, um, and, uh, I just got so many great stories of turning up to gigs, whipping out this PRS and the case. I thought it was done in good nature, but now I look back and it's sometimes I think they were just generally angry at me as a person, so they probably thought I was kind of a posh, like, stuck up, kind of, <laughs> uh, not completely untrue, but, um, there'd be elements of truth but um oh yeah I just remember oh, you lucky get and that kind of thing um I played at my school once um and I walked past one of the like I think it was one of the dads one of the pupils but I knew him through um some like sports clubs and I, I walked past him and he like tapped me on the shoulders I was literally about to go on stage and he was like ah a PRS. I expect good things um, just, so it bought, it bought a bit of a reputation maybe I sounded better because this guitar looked so good they they thought I sounded good as well hopefully um, so yeah then um, our last band kind of went our separate way because we all went off to different universities apart from me and Harry who went to the same university um, so me and Harry formed a new band um, called The Counterpart and this was kind of following so we decided we wanted to do a three piece so we recruited... Um, slash kind of he answered our advert, our friend Nick um, who played, I think played guitar in our first practice but then played bass from then on Um, and I started out with my PRS and like distortion and kind of the same thing I didn't bring my amp with me so I was just playing through whatever they had like crappy martial solid states Um, and then I quickly had my police phase and got really into the police and clean guitars and clarity and all that So I swapped back over to the Gibson, uh, which I hadn't had for that long because you you turn 18, you basically go to uni. So uh, I hadn't had it that long, like the underscore. I used it on like maybe the last couple of things we did with 531, but that was it. I hadn't actually had that much time with this new guitar. So I played that in the counterpart for however long that was going, which was the next like three years. Which is all clean rhythm guitar, so quite different to the this big chunky distorted lead guitar that I played previously. Um, this was, all, uh, uh, I think, this this is probably the low point of my guitar tone, because um, I didn't really know much about rhythm guitar or clean, and so I just had this kind of mushy. Uh, and I was never using my own amps; I was always using like Line Six Pod uh, on my computer, which was alright at the time, but not great. Now I've moved on. Um, and like crappy amps that they had in the practice rooms that you can get an all right sound, but not really, nothing that inspiring. It was, the guitar was wasted on it, basically. Um, yeah, so, um, I then, yeah, played that clean guitar. The only kind of exciting guitar thing that I had at that point was I went round to, um, a friend Nick's house and we used to sort of listen to Beatles records, um, in the dark <laughs> to really get it. And I remember listening to Rubber Soul and that Strat coming on on No nomo and that chimey, trebly, like... Um, and I was like, I need a Strat. I had, like, this image of a Strat from then. I need... I wanted that chime, which I'd been experimenting with on some of our counterpart recordings with, like, making a lead guitar very clangy, trebly, like, imitating that No Man sound. And that was my next destination that i wanted to go you know um god it's been 40 let's let's just plot one i was gonna say let's make it a party but let's just make this all one let's make this a big big fat part one baby um so but that's kind of a the first i, I suppose there's a couple of chapters but that's where we traveled so at this point i've sold the epiphone sold the um squire strap Gone through my chunky rock and roll tone phase. Played the PRS and the Hughes and Kettner. uh Did I talk about the Ambers, a Hughes and Ketner Statesman 20-watt uh, combo? Which is what I played with the PRS. They partner very well together. As I said, like Fendo clean channel. Chunky, shiny, Marshall lead channel but got its own unique thing going. Um, got into tubes, you know. <laughs> felt the difference of that. Loved... Um, Love the sound of that amp in the room. Always found it quite hard to record that amp to mic it up. Um but that's because like we were very we we would practice in our teenage band in like all sorts, in like garages and living rooms and we we'd practice always in our houses. Our parents are just absolute heroes. Like they would help us transport our stuff to like one of our houses each night and um, we'd all go and cook food and like hang out. It was a very sort of communal Thing between like us and all our different families, it was very nice um it's all kind of united around the band um but yeah, and then then we kind of move on to the clean rhythm guitar sound that I was going for in the counterpart um which I didn't have my I left my hues and kit around at home basically and just used whatever I could because. Just a clean sound, like I wasn't putting in much effort there really. Um no effects, still, obviously, no effects. Um then what next? Strats start coming into my consciousness, knocking on the door. Um I used to pop into a vintage guitar shop in Bath and I would always try out Strats. I tried out a really nice light blue one I remember, which is only like nine hundred and something. I don't remember what year it was from though, so I don't know if that was a good deal or not. Um, but I remember that one was quite nice. I tried a red one that they were hard selling me too much. Really, they were like, "This is the best strat I've ever played in my life." Even this guy who doesn't like strats, he's in this shop, loves this. Like, I was like, "Okay." Um, I, I I don't think I like the color. <laughs> Basically, it sounded all right, but it didn't it didn't connect with me. There's something about the feel of them. It's almost like the strings were too close to like the pickups. I felt very like. There was no room to play on it, and it just uh, and then Buzzy and uh, I could never get on with them, but I wanted one at the same time. The paradox. Um, so my one for a Strat is is cooking in the background. It doesn't. T- it takes a few years to realise it, but it's cooking in the background. Um, and so I'm I'm still playing with my Gibson mostly. Uh, with the PRS or subbing in. We then moved to London, um, in the counterpart, but then we actually morphed into a different band, but with a lot of the same members, called the Elston Guns, um, who are still going actually, but just not with me and Harry, um, but yeah, you should check out, check out their stuff, it's cool, um, more of like a, a kind of more back to a, a, like a hard rock sort of sound, like an indie, indie rock sort of sound, um, not to make it sound generic though, (laughs) because everything's indie rock if you can't define it, you know, um, but but that was cool um, and I was back to kind of playing lead guitar in that band um, and had to it all came back kind of serendipity um, that we just did like a jam and I played lead guitar and jam and I kind of unleashed <laughs> the lead guitar skills that kind of people didn't really know I had because I played sort of rhythm in this uh, rhythm and sang in this other band for quite a while um, and. I needed an amp to bring around London because the Houston counter was just too heavy to carry on the tube. These my I had to get an amp that I had to take on the tube as my like, criteria, um, having played a lot through um, things at practice studios and whatever. So me and a friend, Will, who was uh, another guitar player in the counterpart, um, ventured into London to buy amps We um, did like an amp testing day, which was fun. Um and we tried also, mostly around these kind of small portable combos, particularly around like Vox, AC10s, AC15s, um, Fender Blues Junior. I tried a Line 6 DT25, I think, that little head which is supposed to emulate lots of amps, but was very uninspired by that. Um, again, always try, because that's what I would have bought if I'd done it just online. Um And I'm sure there was better options than I was looking at in 2016. I mean, the Kemper and stuff was around. Um, I just didn't... uh, I wouldn't have had the money for the Kemper at the time as well. But I just... You just, you know... You'd know these things in retrospect. But I'm sure there was something that was more portable, more suited to what I ended up getting. But I was a bit of a tone snob at this point, you know? like I wanted a proper tube amp that sounded good. Like... uh, the Fender Blues Junior didn't impress, Like didn't resonate with me that much. Still distorted quite a low volume. Didn't just didn't sound great. Didn't like the distortion on it either. So like felt like it was a bit of a one trick. Because that was probably the other option I might have got. Um. Tried Vox AC15, which sounded nice, but again, just too big to lug around. So we ended up getting different amps that day. Actually, which was kind of fun. So, Will ended up getting a Fender Blues Junior, um, which sounded good for what he wanted to do, Um, and I was not happy until I went into a shop and go, look, I want just a good sounding amp that can be clean, loud, and um, yeah, it's loud enough to gig with, but sounds great, and it's tube amp. And they said, well, you need a Marshall Class 5. And I was like, there's no way a Marshall Class 5 is going to be loud enough. And they're like, uh, yeah. So they got one out and turned it up in the shop, and it was roaring. Oh, that amp sounded good. And you could turn it up, because there's only 5 watts. Like, my other amp was, my old Hughes and Kenner amp was 20 watts, and that was plenty loud enough. Um, you got to remember, we're playing in practice rooms at this point, so you actually do spend a lot of the time just, like, with your amp in the room turned up. Um, so, yeah... I was blown away by the Marshall Class 5. It was so much feel and responsiveness to like the volume knob and um just sounded great like so good, it's particularly in the shop. So and it was um kind of limited edition. He'd ordered like this checkerboard look. So it looked so cool as well. Um so I bought it and I carried it home. Um still a little bit heavy to lug around. Still 10 kilos or so um can get your you're swapping arms a bit i think on on that but um yeah so i got prs and the Marshall, and for a year played in the elston guns as the like lead guitarist kind of playing kind of jimmy page-ish style lead guitar um bit of a beatles influence obviously a bit as well but um this was more trying to play kind of cool rocking solos but uh less of a clean stuff even though i bought the amp to originally kind of try and have a mix of clean cleaners, my tone ended up being, again, no effects, straight into the amp. Um, The only issue I had at that time was that that amp's not actually really loud enough to practice with, even turned up full through a 4x4, like, it can't outpower a head or, like, a whole band and a loud drummer. Um, So I always struggled with volume with that amp. It was very portable, I used to take the bus back after gigs sometimes, like the night bus, so just literally hop on holding amp and guitar, my whole rig in my hands, um, which, is, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I took that and gigged around London with it. Um, it The tone was great. The tone was good. Like I got compliments on like the tone of the amp multiple times. Um, but yeah, it's it, it wasn't loud enough on reflection for what we wanted to do. But it was portable so it kind of did the job but you always need to mic it up and if we did play some gigs we couldn't um and that was always a problem (laughs) i've literally had times where i'm almost behind the amp and can't hear what i'm playing so i just have to rely no one can hear me apart from like maybe someone in the front row who right with their sort of a little 10 inch speaker like right in their face um We actually recorded that amp as well um, when we went into the studio and did a couple of singles with the Elson Guns, so the studio engineer liked that one as well, Um, so that was another, you know, still rocking the PRS at this point, but my Strat Dreams uh, are still there and they're coming to fruition. Um, We spent a year in London, then went back to uni because I went to uni in Bath. Um, but we had a as part of our course like did a year working in London so went back kind of didn't make as much music in that year I mean very busy doing like final um, end of year exams and stuff and um, kind of in a bit of a transition period in terms of like what I was doing what bands I was in whatever um, and yeah so didn't generally play as much until me and Harry at the end of the year decided to kind of, and this is probably the first incarnation of Two Can Echo in any, I mean, we would played a lot as a two we'd kind of jammed a lot as a two, but never always in the context of other bands, always rehearsing new songs or, or just sometimes jamming for fun. That kind of emerged by this stage, but this is like, oh yeah, let's just record an EP together as a sake of, for the sake of doing it. I've got a couple of songs, let's just do it for fun. Um, so we recorded his electric drums or whatever and, um, I think I recorded all of that with the Gibson that I had at the time. Um, so yeah. I'd the, Yeah, so that was um, the kind of tone journey up until my end of university, which is when I was 22. And then in the summer holiday, uh, after the end of university, I decided to build a guitar. Because I'd found one on eBay that I really wanted, um, a hollow body Strat that wasn't perfect. I didn't like the color that much, and some of the there were some things I didn't like about it. But I was like, "Oh, this person's custom built a guitar that looks really cool to me," um, and I was trying to convince my parents that I should get. It. I mean, I should have just bought it. Like, just, I had my own money at that time. But my parents are like, oh no, you don't, you don't know what you're getting. Like you've got to try it, which, to be fair, was not terrible advice. Um, they're you know, like, why don't you just build your own? Uh, and I was like, oh, it's partly because I'm just terrible at building stuff. Like a, a sort of design technology, like woodwork at school, I was always like really bad at and hated it. But my uh, grandpa was very good at it. My, um, yeah, on my mum's side, like he was a, I think he did carpentry and he used to make all the furniture for their house and stuff and um yeah unfortunately he was kind of too old and um eventually died at that point that like i couldn't i, I yeah we weren't ever i'll, I'll pass down a lines of that like we couldn't make a guitar together although i'm sure that's something we would have done i'd like that i had been a bit older or you know he'd be a bit younger or whatever um and so you know maybe there's there was a little bit of in tribute to that uh, to uh there's a little bit of that but to be honest i think it was just like i wanted a strat i hadn't liked any of the ones that i'd tried But I had an idea of the kind of thing that I wanted. Um... And I wanted to try and do something well that I was bad at. Kind of challenged myself on, like, oh, well, you kind of really put yourself down on, like, how bad you are at woodwork and hand, sort of, DIY and whatever. Um... So I just looked up how to do it, what to do. Um... Had a summer holiday. Got stuck in. Started making a guitar. Um... And I had a couple of things that I knew I wanted, but then everything else was just kind of standard strap. Um, I knew I wanted bare-knuckle pickups because my... Mate, Alex had actually built a guitar in um, our teenage band. Alex is, like, years ahead of me on everything. Um, and this is one of the things. He built a guitar way ahead of me. He's into a lot of music, like, way ahead. And I'll just criticise him at the time and then get into it. He was well into clean guitar tones when we were, like, 16. I'm like, nah, rock. And then, like... <laughs> Four years later, I'm like, clean guitar tones. He's like, James, (laughs) I told you this ages ago. Um, So, yeah, sorry, Alex. Um, Basically, all the things I've criticised you for, I've been wrong. Um, And become and grown into them a few years later. Hopefully, Alex doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, So, then, I... Yeah, yeah. He'd he'd built his own telly out of parts. Um, He didn't paint the body, though. That was the difference. That I did on my one. Um, but he used bare-knuckle pickups. Because so I think he got recommended them. And they're like a British-made, high-quality pickup manufacturer. Um, oh, segment recording. Segment is 60 minutes. Well, I'm going to transition onto to a new segment. This will be seamless for you. Right, segment two. <laughs> it's all right. We've got another hour to run on this segment. Hopefully not. Hopefully I can't talk for that one. Anyway, um, so when I was about finishing year about 21 22 um i started building my own strat so i bought a swampash body um i basically decided that i wanted something that i wanted a, an all maple neck because all my other necks are rosewood and i like the idea of i like the look of it um i like the i sort of the idea of it all being like one piece um so I bought a neck from Northwest Guitars, which is like a guitar parts company in the UK, which has a Clapton, like V-shaped, because I do remember when I was younger, I tried at Dawson's in Reading, like a road-worn Strat, I think they were called, like a 50s road-worn Strat that had a sanded-down V-shaped soft V maple neck. Um, and I remember really enjoying playing that guitar, like... Just really, found it really responsive and fun. I was playing Layla on it and all the cheesy Strat stuff. Probably Sweet'em Alabama earlier. Yeah. <laughs> all of that. But really kind of resonating with it, having fun soloing on it. Um, so I knew I wanted that. And I'd gone and confirmed this because I tried a Clapton Strat where he has a famous Clapton V-shaped neck. Um, and so I knew I wanted that. And the, these Northwest guitar guys did a Clapton imitation neck. So I was like, there we go. There's my neck. Um yeah, the body was swampash because um I I wanted something basically that looked good with a a stain. I, I didn't want a solid colour. I'd found wood tone finishes, which I recommend you looking up. There are another UK based company called Wood Tone It's not that hard. Um there are yeah, they're a guitar finishing company that like rub the you you rub the finish into the body. It's like a dye or a stain rather than a, a lacquer that you spray over the top. Um, and I had visions of that this would be more resonant. I liked the road worn feel of the strat I'd had. And while I didn't want to um, relic this one, I did like the idea of it kind of being a bit more connected to the the wood. Because um, no, I had actually done. I had actually bought um, like a guitar kit to do a little um before i bought the strat stuff um this is still due when i was at uni um in the same year though uh i'd got into this idea and decided to build uh buy a 12-string tele kit um and some cheap spray paint and kind of i mean those things you essentially just bolt them together and then solder the pickups on it, it, it would take like a day for you apart from the painting. Um, but I got really into that. I really enjoyed it. I didn't actually make a working guitar in the end because I made some stupid mistakes, which is kind of the point of buying it, to be honest. Like doing that before I bought the proper parts. So um, I, I did record a demo on one on it actually. If I used a capo, it'd work. Um, but getting the nut height and just just generally keeping a twelve-string in tune with like crappy kit hardware was just not worth the hassle, really. So that sits half-repaired in my room. Um, so yeah, that's a side note that this wasn't like I had actually had a little trial run of this. Um then so yeah, the strat and then um I bought a dye. I wanted it to be a kind of flamey red, so they had this thing called I think it was like Carmine Gypsy or some some name like that. Um which was a kind of ready orange dye. Um I was originally planning it to be red with a, a white pickguard, guard. Um but I don't think I used enough dye so, it came out orange. Um, <laughs> as I was painting it, I was like, hmm, I guess it's going to be an orange guitar. So, I went back and looked at the design and decided that, like, a kind of tigery orange strap, but with a black pickguard and white pickups would look quite cool. Um, yeah, and Tukaneko, Echo, I think, didn't really exist at this point. I might have had the idea for the name by this point. Um, maybe. Don't know, but um, it's I'm not, I didn't do that, it now fits quite well within two branding essentially. But I hadn't planned that, it just happened to come out orange when I was trying to go for red. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then pickups I got bare knuckle pickups, um, I think they're called Mother's Milk strat pickups, which is kind of a more 60s. So I didn't want really piercing, trebly clangy, um, 50s pickups. Um, my favorite strat sound was. Um, the Beatles Nowhere Man, which is on a 61 Strat. So I should have got a Rosewood board, obviously, but uh, I cheated a little bit, but I decided to get kind of slightly more mellowy pickups. Um, they're nothing else exciting. I've got quite nice electronics. Um, put a treble bleed in, because uh, it annoyed me on other guitars when, they, when you rolled off the volume the tone would go all dark. So put a treble bleed in. Um, had a nice bridge with um a kind of uh, I got the bridge from Woodtone as well W U D T O N E nailed it, um, and they've got a special thing where you put a plate under the bridge and it increased the sustain, um, which I haven't done on subsequent guitars, but um, I think it's pretty good. Like I do like really like their hardware. They, I also have the neck plate from them, which got these extra long screws which dig into the neck, so. I put nice hardware on it, for sure. Like, I was trying to make a, a good... I had the budget. I was doing a decent guitar. I think I spent about 600 quid on it, maybe. Um, but, yeah, finished it. Moved to London. Um, and got it set up in London. Um, and it was my main... It's been my main guitar for uh, Echo really. Since, the, I mean, Echo sort of formed a bit a few months after that maybe into in, in the form of like me and Harry. Um although I was making songs and stuff under the sort of initial name Two can Echo in the dark corners of the internet, you know. Um in that time. But yeah. And I didn't have an amp, still at this point, I've got the H and K at home. Um Hughes and Kenner, and the Marshall now. <laughs> <laughs> See the jet- gradual accumulation of the PRS and the Gibson at home. And I've got my Strat, and that's my that's my baby. Um, sounds great, feels great. Got it set up, just oh, beautiful. Um, so I was playing that on my like demos. I do find that it's a very trebly rec- guitar to record with. Don't know if it's the combo of like the maple and the Swan Pash. Uh about I suppose the, 60, the the early Strats, the like fifties ones, that are like swampash and um, maple necks are quite bright so that's usually offset by quite like a bassy amp you can get it right if you get the right like bassiness out of the amp for them you can get a really nice kind of round like supple uh, is it supple i really want supple to be the right word because it sort of sounds like i want it to supple mm, bending and moving easily and graceful no round tubby like a round, tubby low end, but like the the treble gives it like this feel as well. Um, y- you feel like you've got a lot of detail in what your fingers and pick are doing because of this treble, like clink, 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 clink. You feel like you're getting that percussive element through a lot, but it's not shrill or harsh. That's what like a good strat compared uh, partnered with a good amp with a lot of bass response to me is. Um, I remember I was mostly playing kind of cleaner stuff at this point like, yeah, sort of, and, and on solo is, like, quite, I was doing this all through, like, the computer, through amp sims and stuff, I, I wasn't playing, I was in quite a small room in a London flat, so, um, I didn't have a lot of room for gear, so I played through my computer through my headphones, mostly, to not disturb any housemates, um, and, you know, 2 started as a studio band, so, when me and Harry started making more music together, I was, um, playing through amp sims, with the with the Strat or with um, the Gibson I actually recorded the first Duke Can Echo EP on the Gibson actually because uh, I mean it's logistical but we were um, at our parents' houses at that time because Harry's living at home um, so I, I'd left my Strat in London and picked up one of my home guitars <laughs> it's good yeah? guitars in multiple locations it's beautiful um, so I've always found the Gibson to be really good for recording don't know why um, just records well sounds nice <laughs> Um and the strat I've struggled with recording a bit more. It's not actually on loads of echo song or any songs really recorded, but I play it live a lot more and in practice a lot more. So it's kinda of interesting, kinda of hard harder to get a good recording tone out of it. Um So yeah, I was using that. Is there any other exciting tonal developments? Between that and the two rock, mits. Um, so basically, yeah, me and Harry start out as a studio band. We record an EP in his room. Then we decide. Uh, then, uh, then we we play in the Elston Guns a little bit actually because Harry's still playing in the Elston Guns at this point. Um, so, I play the strat. In the uh, rock and roll band I talked about before, when I was playing the PRS and the Marshall kind of rocking jimmy page like solos um i played the strap for a couple of elston guns gigs that year um (laughs) through wait for it through my boss me 50 effects pedal that i made a side mention to earlier so i I was playing a bit more affected stuff at this point because that's kind of what they wanted at this point that that band kind of wanted more delays and more like stuff to the guitar sound than the sort of pure straight up rock stuff i did before um and I was sort of standing in at that point. I wasn't really like a full part of the band here, but I mean, it was a decent part, but we we were kind of doing a couple of gigs really. Um, and yeah, I play that and through a small, I bought a little Vox MV50, which is like a micro tube, nano amp. So it's a, um, for those of you who don't know, there's a, there's been an amplification invented called Class D Um which is where it's still analogue. It, people think it's digital, but it's not. It's like, uh, it's a clean, very clean, very compact um, circuit that can amplify really loud, very efficiently. So you can make, so the, the flip side of it is just like, you can make really small guitar amplifiers that are very loud using Class D as the loudness. So it doesn't do much for the tone. Like it doesn't change the tone. It may arguably a bit sterile. Because all it does is just make things louder very efficiently. So at that point I bought one of those because I was looking... I'd been to see the bootleg Beatles <laughs> at the Royal Albert Hall and was quite inspired by the voxy tones they had there. I wanted to match that with my with my Strat. So I bought that basically just for that, just for a gigging amp that I could... L- I mean, that was the height of my portability rig. I could lug that. The MV50 is about the size of your phone, like in at least in terms of width or length or whatever you call it, um, it's, yeah, it's about the size of a normal guitar pedal, so you can, e you can almost almost fit it in your pocket, let alone like guitar case. Uh, so that was fun. I used to take that to gigs and just whack it in the bag and so you on the tube on the bus like no problemo. Um. So yeah, um. And. But then we started doing more 2 stuff, again, making another album this time. Um, but what we also started doing is playing me and Harry as a two-piece in a practice room, like as a live band a bit more, um, where we come face-to-face with the inadequacy of guitar room amps. I'm, I'm becoming a tone snob by this point, you know. I built my own guitar. I've got some nice guitars and a, a nice a nice tube amp or two tube amps at home, you know. I've got some nice stuff, like, I've got taste. Um, I can feel, particularly in this, like, jamband form, that this tone, I'm not happy with the tone. It's, it's not responsive, it's kind of flat. It sounds all right, but it feels flat to play. Um, Although the strat's nice. So, I decide, eventually, that I need to find a, cle- a loud clean amp. This is kind of as we're playing, we play our first gig, I think, to echo in... Uh, late 2018, I want to say, it was it after that? It in 2019. I think it was in 2019, maybe. don't remember. Um, oh, I'll look that up, but we play our first gig, um, and at that point, I bought an octave pedal, which is like adding the bass to what we're doing. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's 2019 we do our first gig. Um, in like, April, May time, so you are a bit early. But uh, not that this matters for the context of the podcast. But, you know, we're playing in practice rooms, whatever, playing these average kind of sounding amps. I tried going through my computer, like, through an amp sim out, but the feel wasn't there. It just wasn't right. So I decided I needed a loud, clean amp, so I go deep into my researching, trying to find something. Um, look at, like, Victory amps and a clean MV50. Uh... I didn't try a lot of these actually. I was just looking online and then on Reverb and looking at like John Mayer's tone quite a lot cuz he's just nailed the clean tone, you know. Um and I knew I wanted something with like sufficient bass. I looked at the I I did try the blue guitar amp one, but uh don't know whether it was just the atmos in the, in the shop and stuff where I couldn't turn it up very loud and didn't get a good impression, but I didn't I wasn't that impressed by it when I tried it. Um but I know other people have absolutely loved it and sworn by it. But anyway, That was my theory that that was what it was going to be, but decided I wanted something with a real tube amp feel. Um, So, trying to find a a portable tube amp head that had big, loud, bassy, clean sounds. That was the order of the day for Tikkun Echo, you know. Um, And on Reverb, which is like a musician's eBay, if you don't know it, um, I found a used 2-rock Jet 35 for about a grand Which I'd never seen one that low before. So I snapped it up. It was an impulse purchase. Um, I arranged for that guy to come um, and drop it off in Easter time of 2019. Yeah. Um, And that is the most beautiful sounding amp I've ever played. Just crystal, crystal clear. Bass, big, deep bass. like Exactly what you want with a Strat, as I was saying before. Big deep bass, um, like expensive, crystally high end, um, mid range. If you want it, um, really clever, like gain structure and circuitry, point to point wiring made in America. Like oh, beautiful. It just, it was it was more detailed, and more responsive than any other amp I'd had, even the Marshall, which is, it just kind of it's like it's had a cover, a blanket lifted off the tone. so you can hear everything you're playing. I was like. Not only is this sound great, like it's going to make me better because you can actually hear everything I'm doing here. Um, so I had that. Um, got a cab made for it by Zilla as well with a Neo cream back in it so, so that it was light. Got an orange racing stripe round it, which is pretty cool. Um, which hasn't... am not sure it's ever appeared on any two Kineco videos, actually. Maybe. Maybe once or twice. Um, but I've mostly used that at home. Because, um, the, you know, at that point we were playing a lot just in practice rooms, um, and where you turn the amp up, and that that's that's why I got a conventional amp, you know. I, I was also a little bit of like, oh, I want a genuine analogue tone. I was kind of of that opinion at the moment, having played through amp sims and kind of found the tone a bit average compared to like a, a, the feeling of playing through a tube amp. Um, so I got the two-rock. Um I remember playing the first practice with it through a 4x12 in the room, Sounded unbelievable, so good, just massive, responsive. The reverb on it is amazing. T Rocks are great, man, they're just so good. Just um, perfect pairing with the strap. Um, the only thing is, I didn't have any effects, um, and I was starting to feel that I wanted some delays and stuff for Toucan Echo to, to. Because if you've not got anything to back your solos, it's quite nice to have a delay as like performing a little bed to solo over. Not all the time, but. You know, I was starting to kind of think that I'd quite like a couple of effects. Um, But I was getting issues with using the two rock in our content. uh, It didn't fulfill that. It fulfilled tone needs like perfectly. But just the practicalities of being a two piece band in London weren't met well by the two rock. It wasn't very practical because you needed a cab with it. It was quite heavy like portable small size but if you're carrying it gig to gig it got it wore me down a bit um because we literally would walk we take the tube and then walk 15 20 minutes and you can kind of do it but you just slowly start to not want to do that like actually lug it um and i know that guitar has been doing this for years and i think i'm just like a little. <laughs> i don't want to carry a 10 kilo amp like 10 minutes yeah, people have been sacrificing a lot more for tone, but it's one thing putting it in a car and another thing actually carrying it, like, with your guitar and with your whatever other gear, particularly when you start taking, like, recording gear and stuff. Um, so I kind of found myself, like, if ever I was running late to practice, I just wouldn't take it, I'd just leave it. Um, I tried it in putting it in wheelie case and stuff, but felt a bit like it was getting rattled around too much. Um... So. Then. Another big change in two can echo tone world was when I was first introduced to the Kemper Profiler. I actually knew about the Kemper, um, when I was looking at the Two Rock. But it was actually a, a key contender of. Well, I was either going to buy a Kemper or a Two Rock, um, or a Kemper or an amp or something like. I was can actually, but the Kemper is very expensive. Um, it's like eighteen hundred for a powered one never spent that much on amp in my life like it's a lot um but obviously it should in theory emulate lots of different amps but and the kemper is unique because you've got loads of people who swear by it like whereas not many amp sims amp sims are way more split in like terms of people oh this feels just like an amp or this doesn't the kemper generally people like this does it this gets it which is super cool um but i didn't get one i got two rock and i was really happy with the t tone when I could play it, but it just... The other thing that wasn't practical was just, like, when we played some gigs where they didn't have a cab. Um, and, like, I just... I had this beautiful amp, but I couldn't lug it across. We also did a, a reunion of one of our old bands, and, like, I couldn't take it with me. And I'm back through amp sims, and it's just a bit like, yeah, I kind of invested in this amp, but it's not... I have to kind of be quite lightweight to get from. You know, we we used to go to gigs on the tube, like we would meet up for band practices on the tube. Like you, you have to be able to carry it um, realistically in London. It's different in the US, or wherever it's predominantly driving. But we valued the flexibility of like being able to get up and go. Um, so, I Harry's flatmate Aaron had bought himself a Kemper, because he's um, like a solo artist producer. Um, I wanted that for his guitar tone, so it was kind of one of his big investments in guitar tone. Um, And he was out, slash away a weekend, and we were in Harry's flat recording, um, and I hijacked and took the Kemper. Absolutely desperate to try on at this point, having heard all the hype, having heard the Having sort of thought about how useful it would be for recording and all the different amps I could have, and having listened to some profiles online and thought what they sound. I played through quite a lot of these different amps now. I played through Fender Deluxes, and one of the best amps I ever played was a Fender um, Little Tweed Deluxe. Um, I think it was 1957, all beat up, like, oh, sounded great. Um, I played through Marshalls, like. I played through Marshall Full Stack, played through multiple Vox AC30s, played through various Fender, I mean, all the, like, average crappy Fenders they have at <laughs> guitar shops, like, um, DeVille or whatever it's called, and just impractically large Fenders. Um, my Hughes and Kettner for years. Some Laney amps, I played through a few different amps. Um, not loads of super vintage ones, but, um, I'd, I'd basically listened to, um, these profiles and gone, I, that's what the amp sounds like, like, I wouldn't be able to tell that I, someone could play that to me, I wouldn't be able to tell you it was a digital emulation, so I'd listened to the camera been impressed, but not played one, um, then we recorded with it, um, on our song Lord owes me the summertime, just on a stock profile, um, didn't download any sort of third-party new profiles or whatever. It's just on a stock, I don't know, AC30 or something, I think. Um, and I was really impressed with the tone that we got out because having not been that satisfied with guitar tone, particularly recorded guitar tone, almost ever, but for a long time, um, even at studios, but particularly live, Like um, to quote Tone Junkie, one of the Kemper profilers I follow, um, you should check out Tone Junkie podcast. It's a big inspiration behind this one um the rambling (laughs) form um very entertaining very informative you know um but he said like whatever amp i took to a gig it always end up sounding like an sm57 um which is so true i think i've i think almost every single gig i've been to they've whacked an sm57 nonchalantly in front of it like mate point whichever way you like doesn't as long as it's in the general vicinity, the gravitational field of the guitar amp, then it's fine. It will all come out in the mix. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I had had that problem that he described that the Kemper solves. Like The Kemper, obviously, you can use any mics you want, profile it, and then replicate that through a PA. Um, so you could be having a rhythm mic and all this stuff that you're not like to get from your average sound person. Um so yeah, never, always a bit unhappy with recorded and live guitar tone, even if the amp in the room sounds good. Like, very few times, like, yeah, they have absolutely nailed it. Like, that sound, particularly with a little Marshall as well, quite like a trebley speaker that it works for particular thing, it works for a particular, like, lead guitar sound, but not for what we wanted in 2 connectors. So I was kind of thinking, oh, well, invested in this two-rock to get all this bass to kind of fill out this two-piece band yet I could I could even if I got a cab there and whatever and the cab sounds great um, my, my own cab Um, if I got that there and the two-rock there like it might still have an SN57 in front of it like what's been the point of this like you're losing half the info that you've particularly the bass info Um, so I was already kind of sold that the Kemp could be a better solution but we recorded with it I used some of the effects, um, I thought the amps had this feel and this, like, chunky kind of pro sound on this recording, that, like, they didn't sound like a a de-eyed guitar with, like, a thin, translucent amp-sim layer over the top where you could kind of peel back the curtain and still kind of see that it was a, you still kind of see it was an illusion, um, and so very soon after that I bought one, um. I bought that and a 360 camera on the same day. I was like, I think these things are going to help us. And I've been very right on both of them. Um, maybe a, maybe a two Echo video journey. <laughs> as well as a home recording journey. I'm enjoying this. Obviously I'm enjoying it. It's like an hour in. Um, so I bought Kemba Profiler and downloaders and profiles. And it's been fucking awesome. It's been fantastic. The live and recorded tones you can get out of the Kemper are by far and away the best that we've ever or I've ever had um you know, playing guitar. Live, through a PA and recorded, best ever. Um I'm not hundred percent convinced about it in the room yet, at least compared to a, a tube amp I think that interacts with the speaker differently. Um but I caveat that at low volumes. At higher volumes, you can't tell the difference, um, and I know that sounds stupid. You'd feel like the tube amp would get further ahead at loud volumes, but honestly, I've played the Kemper through a four by twelve like loud in a normal band practice zone. Like it's the the response is not uh, you don't notice it taken away from your feel or your tone. Um, maybe at lower volumes, like you can see, there's a five percent difference. Five ten percent is kind of what I put in, which is incredible because Kemper can get five ten percent within any amp in the world. Vintage new, like for cheap, like it's just unreal. This is not a criticism of the Kemper. It's an observation that like, when I do it side by side with the Churot, the turot has got some kind of tube amp, power amp speaker interaction. That's not quite there on the Kemper, but if the Kemper's loud enough, you, you get much closer. Those gap, that gap narrows. Um, I love the Kemper, I love the effects, I love it's all in one box, um, I love it's got a little looper in it, even though I'm not very good at the looper, um, I like just having this collection of vintage amps, I, I love being able to get like the exact tone of something, so being able to kind of, and I love the history and the 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 story of playing like a 63 AC-30 and going this is like what one sounds like, it's, it's great. Um, it brings so much within reach that wasn't previously ever... I've never even played through one, let alone owned one. And to... Like, I like in a Toucan Echo gig um, in 2019 in um, King's Cross, I played through a fucking Dumble on stage. Uh, and, you know, I think they're I think I used the Michael Britt Dumble profile in um, Folkestone when we played the Toucan Echo gig. Like, outside, by the sea. <laughs> like... <laughs> In the mid like was no way even if somehow I'd got money for a Dumble that I would have taken it to a gig by the sea. <laughs> it's just no way. I wasn't gonna take the two rock, you know, on the train on the way out there. Yeah, I'm carrying the Kemper. And I've got not just a Dumble, but anything. A sixties Marshall. A sixties Vox, like ah, uh, and you can swap through it's yeah, sick. It's just great. Um it's an unbelievable bit of technology and I want to get another one so I can blend two which is kind of I'm contemplating selling up some of my legacy gear that I've talked through today um, not the PRS never but maybe the Gibson Um, maybe my well maybe my Hughes and Kempner and Marsh tube amps which is kind of heresy when the guitar players selling tube amps but I love the Kemper it does exactly what I need it to, particularly in, like, a live PA scenario. It just rocks. Like, sounds unbelievable through a PA. Crystal clear, amp Just, yeah. It would be, in 99% of, like, situations for kind of low-down amateur musicians, it would be what you could capture on stage if you'd not got someone setting up your amps for you and that kind of thing. And it gives you time. Like, the sound checks are almost laughably quick for 2 Echo, you know? No one's shifting mics around. No one's, like, trying to work out what's going on with the tube and why it sounds different today. Just bloop. Yeah, it sounds great. No no EQ from the desk. Just, it's, it's done. Um, so, yeah. That's kind of where we're at. I suppose the only thing that's happened since then, kind of a bit of an amp focus there. But, yeah, I've, I've essentially moved over the Kemper Profiler for 99% of my playing. I whack the Two Rock on sometimes um for a bit of fun uh, and it does inspire some riffs out and makes it's very responsive very it's still a beautiful standing amp like Kemper or not the Two Rock stands alone is a great amp um but i don't use it as much to justify the money that i've put into it um i could free it up to buy another kemper um or run some ads or something um so yeah but I'm kind of moving on to my next stage of tone. And this is kind of the point of this whole thing is just like, I mean, it's just been fun for me to kind of tell this story um, and not just tell it to Harry <laughs> and him sit through it. Like, it's fun for me to just kind of relive it, partly because I'm at this point where I'm probably going to start getting rid of some of this gear. So it's nice for me to, like, think back through this whole journey. But, um, yeah. And the Kemper's got built in effects, so I've used effects a lot more. It's brought me the delays and kind of synthy sounds are cut, yeah, beyond like something that an analogue amp or pedals could achieve. Um I suppose what I'm slightly missing is the slight you have to be slightly more pre programmed on the Kemper. It's a bit hard to like click through menus while you're doing you're doing stuff. It's possible, but you it's a bit of a, a weird uh, mindset to be in to try and go which menu I'm in when like you're mid song. Um whereas it's a bit easier to grab an analog pedal and twist some knobs and stuff. Um so that's a bit different. But yeah, loving the Kemper tones. Um in terms of amps that I use on the Kemper I use a um two rock. <laughs> Ironically. Um I use a two rock custom reverb signature, I think, um, which is Michael Britt profiles. Um I use uh basically basically my two favourite profilers are Michael Britt and Tone Junkie and not really anyone else. So a couple of top Jimmy if he has apps that those others don't have. Um I've used on our records I've used anything from Vox, AC ten, AC thirty, Fender Baseman, um Fender Twins, Dumbles, um, or Dumble clones, from again, all of these are from Michael Britton keep like um a brown face, Fender, um, yeah, like 60s marshals sometimes, but not as much. I use them live, like when we're jamming sometimes, for kind of more, if we do a 60s kind of cover. Um, but not so much on our recordings. Uh, I guess this kind of covers most, you know, lots of Dumbly kind of cleans, or Fender cleans. Um, I use the Fender Bandmaster, as my kind of latest profile I've been using. Quite like a bit because it's got a big chunky cab, it's got that like, tubby low end that we want um there's something I'm still sorting out on the Kemper is like through in-ears and through headphones it the as I said like the strap doesn't record very well and it comes through quite kind of harsh and trebly and loses that low end so I don't know whether it's just the profiles are kind of cut out for a a guitar in a concert of a band where you kind of need to cut the bass and make it more cut through and actually for what we need is much bassier guitar than you'd need elsewhere so I don't know if I'm potentially going to profile some of my amps that I've got um I should really, but it's very loud to profile stuff. Um so I don't know when or where I'm gonna be able to do that and make basically a machine gun style noise when everyone's working from home. Uh maybe in one of our practice spaces or something. Um But I'm gonna do that. Um I should I should make a little two Echo profile pack, that'd be quite fun. Like a journey of tone. Um as if people are going to try and recreate the 531 tone. That'd be cool if they did. I should I should profile that out before I sell it with the PRS and just uh, capture some 531 tones. That'd be fun. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the only other, I suppose, thing on my tone journey is two more guitars that I've since bought, slash one I made, one I bought. Um, so when we... Gigging in um and my guitar strap broke on my strap. <laughs> the actual guitar was fine, but my guitar strap broke. Um, I kind of realized that I needed when we were starting to do more gigging stuff. I kind of needed a backup. Um, I wanted a backup to take to gigs that like wasn't too expensive. I wasn't. I didn't want kind of want to take a backup, uh, the PRS or the Gibson, and, and leave that lying backstage. We were not gigging in particularly glamorous places like kind of wanted something that's a little bit more can be take or leave it, and I'm not, it's not really like a guitar I'm super attached, it's just like, does a job um, of being a backup uh, if anything goes wrong so I bought a fret uh, uh, on sale kind of slightly impulsed but I bought a, a Fret King Spirit 3 which has three P90s um, of a vibroler bridge and a kind of reverse Firebird body um, a super cool looking guitar um, and and it sounds cool, um. It's got these uh, hum-cancelling P90s, so they've got two coils, and you can flick in and out these, uh, or actually blend in and out these other coils, so you can go from quite a singly coil P90 sound to quite a thick, stacked uh, P90 coil sound. It was something a bit different. I love the um, Vibrola bridges. As I mentioned, I wanted an SG, so uh, I got it, but I've not used it very much. Um, Got it as a a backup. Um, I used it on a couple of practices, and I do quite like the thicker, sort of thick Strat sound of P90s, but... Particularly as they've got three, you can still do the in-between sound. But, um, yeah, I've just kind of fallen out of love with it a bit. It's got quite a thick paint job, and I'm quite used to playing like satin guitars now, so... not sure. Yeah, I, th- I think that one could be on the way out soon. Um, I got it in the sale, so I got it for quite a cheap a couple of hundred quid. So I got it for quite a cheap price, um, considering it was you sold like new, like 800, something like that. So it's a decent... It's a decent guitar. And plays really well. Plays as good as like any other guitar, um, but just the yeah, I was a bit disappointed by the sound of the pickups. I found them quite muffled um, compared to the really trebly strats and stuff. So the only other guitar tone movement that I think is worth mentioning, until I sort of gone to the future and wrap up this very long podcast, is um, I built another one in. 2020 covid lockdown was completely unplanned um but i had kind of wanted to build another one because i enjoyed the first one so much um i actually built two i built one for harry as well um but this is kind of my hobby during lockdown to keep me occupied i was like i'm gonna build another guitar um so i did some days of in very 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 intense research i was obsessed what am i gonna build what can i afford um and uh, i ended up building a one pickup cabronita fender cabronita Style, it wasn't actually, you know, not a Berger Cabernet, we'll call it that. Um, but yeah, it's so a one filtertron one pick up guitar. So I kind of wanted to make like I, I was quite into like SG and Vespool Juniors. Um, the concept of like a one pick up guitar was quite interesting to me, being a minimalist, obviously. Um, and uh, yeah, it's orange. Again, I use wood tone, maple neck. Um I, u- I use like oil on the neck rather than a lacquer finish, so it's a very, very like satin feeling neck. Um it's picking up dirt quickly. <laughs> um use quite cheap hardware on it, which would be the only thing I'd probably change. Um T V Jones Classic Plus pickup, quite like a Ballsy Filtertron. Love the Filtertron sound like more than I thought I would, actually. Um It was kind of a bit of a something a bit different guitar to build I wasn't really didn't have like a big tone lane in in mind just like something different um it was more for the fun of the build than for a real need of a tone but has actually inspired like some different kind of style of playing and stuff in me uh you know the scale length feels different and the pickup responds really uniquely like filter trons are so unique compared to humbuckers and single chords they're just something kind of clean and trashy and clarity and like mud about them all at the same time um, yeah, just uh, I got really great lead sound out of it the other the other day when we were practicing. Just off. Oh, I was like I could have been the best lead sound I've ever got out of that. Um, and having one pickup is fun, like having to kind of navigate again limitations, like having to navigate around trying to get because I actually on the strap play mostly on uh, my neck pickup, which you know the Cabernet one doesn't have a neck pickup, so you have to kind of try and make that sound. Um, So that's been the only other thing. And so I've been switching really back between the Strat and the Cabronita recently um, with the Gibson and PRS kind of sitting at my parents' house, nice and safe. Um, I still record a lot with the Gibson. Um, I played the PRS a lot again in lockdown, which is just such a nice guitar to play. But those are like humbucker guitars and they don't quite have the snap that we're looking for in the Toucan Echo tone. Hence, where are we go next? Can't believe anyone's ever going to listen to this. Like, this is such a unexplained. I've, I've literally covered ten years of guitar obsession in like an hour and a half, um, and I don't even know if this is like followable. But I'm in a bit of a trance now, and I'm just going through it. I'm I'm absorbed. So let's keep going. Um, so next steps. I'm I'm kind of at the point again where I was like, I need to do some fix I I built um. The, other, the only other thing is, like, I built a little strap for Harry that I've not finished yet. <laughs> it's taken months and months and months, and I've just, like, left it at 90% finish, and I need to finish it for him. Um, yes, yeah, so I need to give a, a, build a strap for Harry. Um, which is almost done. It's got some cool pickup switching, and, like, a rainbow. Uh, I got some holly. So Harry's one was a more experimental one. I bought some Indian holly powder, which is kind of, like, coloured powder they use in this uh, festival. Um, and I've spray painted the guitar white and threw all this powder on it after a lot of trial and error I got it to stick um and so that's got a very cool like rainbow faded finish with actual like powdery text like you know an actual kind of gritty texture it's very cool um but i need to finish uh there's one problem with the soldering and like uh the pit guard doesn't fit the only problem is i bought really cheap parts for that and they didn't actually fit together very well um like it sounds all right and it plays all right i need to adjust the playability but um the main reason it's taking me so long is that like it's actually a pain to work with parts that don't automatically fit like i bought them from the same company and the neck and the body didn't fit and so i was like there sanding for like hours trying to get them to slot together so, so it's always bit, a bit of a botch job but anyway um that one's almost done and yeah my next steps guitar tone wise where will the world take me um I think I'm going to profile my old amps and sell them. Um, I don't have a, a role for tube amps in my life right now, which is kind of sad. I might keep one of them. If any of them, either the Two Rock or the Hughes and Kettner, the, the Marshall's just grateful for that, that band and that period of moving around London, but it's, it's just, I don't need it now. I can get my sounds through the Kemper. It's, it's too loud for home use and too quiet for gig use, basically. Um, but it'll be on sale, and it's great. Um, for however much <laughs> yeah I did I shouldn't, uh, I'll make a better sales pitch than that Um, and I think I want to evolve on from a pure strat tone to something that's a bit more customised to me I like don't think I'm finished yet I don't think I've reached I love playing my t strat although it needs a bit of work on playability one of the pickups is gone and it's a bit buzzy at the moment Like it needs a bit of a, a TLC to get back to full glorious work in order. Um, but it's got some nice wear on the finish now. Like it's got a bit of character and a bit of story. Like i played it so much now. So. Um, you know those guitars I made. what aren't going to go out of circulation. But I also if I'm really going to quest my ideal tone. I want something that's a hybrid. Between the Strat and the Gibson. Which I think is like a semi-hollow Strat. With P90 or slightly chunkier bassier than, than single coil. Pickups. so when i get the bravery and the money to invest that's where we're going to be people um because i'm a firm believer to sum up that you should try guitars but also your tastes are going to change um so don't expect that you're going to stick with one guitar forever it's great if you can stay with a guitar for as long it's much cheaper and it gets you making more music than if you're just constantly researching and building and whatever new guitars um but if you do get more more than one and you get a variety of them it can inspire you to play differently um it can mean you can kind of mix it up a bit more easily um it gives you backups and different tunings and stuff just way more flexibility um so my tone journey is not over although my amp journey might be over with the Kemper unless I get another one and start blending two amps together which could be the next step um but yeah fuck my my throat hurts from talking <laughs> constantly for like two hours. Um, but this is my tone journey. Um, and I will keep you posted as to where we're at. That, no one will have listened this far though. Like, no one's going to have listened this far. If if you've listened this far, email me, james at 2 com, saying um, what would be a... What would be a good little phrase from this? Like, guitar tone freak, or something like that. Just just in the subject line. James at Tukaneco.com, guitar tone freak. And I'll send you a free Tukaneco t-shirt and wristband and shit like that. Because um, who the hell has listened to this all the way through? Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Um. Well, I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed talking to myself. <laughs> Right. See you later on the Tick and Echo podcast. Oh yeah, James out.